Thank you. You can go ahead and have a seat. Today is the last uh, day of Advent. It's Advent 4, our last Sunday, rather. And it is usually themed as the Advent Sunday when we consider both the love and glory of God and its effect on humanity. Last week, Walter accurately and skillfully reminded us that God does not despise our humanness. This week, we go a step further, and we say that not only does God not despise our humanness, but that he loves humanity so much that we were in our greatest need. He sent his only son to put on flesh, to walk among us, to move into the neighborhood. It is a remarkable thing to consider. Each Advent, I spend some time listening to Handel's Messiah, and it seems that each Advent, a section of this work jumps out to me, and this Advent, the section that jumped out to me is based on our psalm today. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Now, it's interesting in Handel's Messiah that this does not come during the Advent part. It is actually placed in the part between Jesus' death and resurrection. The choir breaks out, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors. Who is this King of glory? He's the Lord strong and mighty. The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Between death and resurrection, in the time of tension, as we wait for Jesus. Sound familiar? We've talked this Advent about the three times that we have to consider. We consider the first Advent as we are waiting for Jesus and his incarnation to come. We consider the second Advent when Jesus will come back again. And we have this year been considering the middle part, the time in between, the tension between the first and second Advents. Jesus already here, but not yet. Did you hear the tension? Tony read the song of Mary, the Magnificat. You have done all these things, Jesus. And as we look around us, we go, yeah, but you've not you've done them all. There's still people suffering. There's still poor and there's still darkness. Do you feel the tension in Mary's song? And so we come today and we think about this psalm for a minute in the tension between Advent 1 and Advent 2, the time where Jesus is making us his people, forming us into his ambassadors to speak truth, and this week especially love. And so the psalmist encourages us. He says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. It's a song that's supposed to be sung like they do in the Messiah. It's supposed to be big in the time of tension because it is a song about the glory of God, the light of Christ breaking into the darkness. It should be sung big. But there's an uh uh-oh here. The psalm was written 
and coincides with the events of 1 Samuel 6 and 1 Chronicles 13. And this is when David finally brings the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, into Jerusalem and sets it on Zion. There's no temple yet, so he puts it on the holiest of hills. And the song is saying, who can walk up there? Who can go into the presence of the Lord? The psalmist is asking a question. And the answer is only those with clean hands and pure hearts. It's it's a big moment. The mood is good. The joy is high. The presence of God has come back among the people. He's in Jerusalem finally. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Only those with clean hands and pure hearts. And when they get there, they will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. It's this big promise. He makes, the psalmist makes a bold declaration and also a bold exhortation in verse 6. He exclaims, such is the generation of those who seek him and seek the face of God of Jacob. The psalmist is declaring that the people of God led by King David are and must remain those who have clean hands and pure hearts. And this bold declaration and exhortation is made because the presence of the Lord has come back and dwelt among them. Now, this beautiful psalm, written for the highest of occasions, God coming to be with his people, certainly the mood was high and the joy full. A brief history lesson. I used to teach history to eighth graders. Please don't do what they did. A few listened. Some ignored me and most fell asleep. Everybody stay awake. Brief history lesson. It's important. In 1000 BC, that is when David brings the ark into Jerusalem. And then two years later, in 998, this psalm is composed in commemoration of the occasion. And then in 966, the ark is moved to the temple. Solomon builds the temple. The ark is moved there. And then in 939, you start doing the math. Let's see, 61 years later, Solomon turns to idolatry. Solomon turns to idolatry. He invites idols into the temple of God. 61 years. Now let's think of it generationally for just a minute. The word generation should catch our eyes here in Psalm 24. You're talking about less than two generations. In less than two generations, and one generation in kingly terms, David to Solomon, one generation. There's, the psalmist can no longer sing about the people of God, that they are the people of clean hands and pure heart. And then we go all the way down to 766, where Isaiah writes this passage in Isaiah 7. Not two, not two generations remained faithful to God. Not two. But six to eight generations worshipped idols. It was the normative practice of God's people for six to eight generations. And it leads up to Isaiah's question to King Ahaz. Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men? But you have to weary God also. Now remember that the prophets are the voice of God. So God is saying to humanity, you have worn me out. I am tired. All right. Those of you with mind are going, God's not really tired because he's stooping down to let us know the condition of the world, okay? I am tired of the idol worship. You have worn me 
out. And you've worn man out, humankind. You've exhausted them. Idol worship, by the way, bothers God and wears us out. And so, God has this hard question. Is it not enough that you wear yourselves out? You got to get on my last nerve too? You would expect that God would follow up with a question, a question like this with a word of judgment and wrath. In fact, he did that sometimes. And the other gods of the ancient Near East, the false gods that these people were worshiping, always met disrespect and disobedient with destruction and despair, always. In fact, those gods, their books would scare people into servitude. And so the people who had heard that word from God would have braced themselves for what would have come next. They would have crouched and said, oh no, God is worn out by us. And I want to say something to you. God would have been totally within his divine right to wipe out the people who for generations had served idols. He would have been totally within his right. God would have been totally in his right to remove his presence completely from the people. God would have totally been within his divine right to raise his omnipotent hand in judgment. And I got to tell you, when I get to this part, it's hard for me to go on because that is not what God does. Instead, God speaks through Isaiah and says this, behold, and the people must have thought, here it comes. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Do you see it? Do you see the people's posture? Behold, the virgin will conceive a son and call his name God with us. Now, I'm not going to remove my presence from you. I'm going to bring my presence in a bigger way. I'm not going to remove my lampstand off the hill because of your rebellion. I am going to bring the glory of God to earth to walk around. I am not going to reach my hand of wrath and smite you down. I am going to open my arms of love and welcome you Who is the King of glory? The Lord God Almighty. Who is the King of glory? The Lord mighty in battle. I don't know if you caught the word from the hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Late in time, behold him come. You ever see that and go like, what is, the, is the hymn writer dissing God that he's late? <laughs> no, it's not what he's saying. What the hymn writer is saying is accurate to what we just talked about. 
God came late in time. God withheld his hand of wrath for as long as he could. And then when the, the hour was desperate, when the time was late, when the end looked near, when the people had turned their backs, when there was no hope and there was no help and there was no rescue, God sent a rescuer. Right in the nick of time. With his arms of love open. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, who are worn out. I'll give you rest. Those of you who have been under the yoke of oppression, even of your own making, take on my yoke because the burden is easy. I take the weight. I'll stand by you. My burden is light. Even when we were trapped in sin, but God so commended his love toward us. While we were sinners, he sent Jesus. And make no mistake, all of the ancient writers connect Advent and the cross. You can't separate them. Jesus came to die. My friends, today we are considering the love of God. But to do this, it has come, becomes very, very easy for us to read these very famous birth narratives, like Jan read one today from Matthew. You'll watch the Peanuts episode tonight where they read Luke 2, right? You should, by the way. It's a great show. Yeah, they read it really well. You know, the one we all know. It's easy for us to minimize the love of God because we want to just think about baby Jesus, right? It's, oh, Jesus is here. Get the presents out, you know? And by the way, I cannot wait to get the presents out, okay? Just hear me. I love me some good presents, okay? Getting mostly, but giving some too, all right? I like them. I love all of that. But it's easy for us to miss this. It's easy for us to miss Matthew's words when he says, that, when he says she will bear a son and you shall call his name. Now, now listen, not Emmanuel. Jesus. For... You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Matthew's not just restating Isaiah. Now he is, by the way. He goes on a little further and says, this was already said. This is the promise. Here he is. God promised you a rescuer right in the nick of time, and he's now here. You know him as Emmanuel. He still is Emmanuel. But let me change his name for you, Jesus. In the nick of time with his arms of love open wide to welcome us in. We said on Advent 1 that for us to be a people of the light, for us to be a people who bask in God's glory, for us to be a people who give love, we do have to recognize that there is darkness around us. And so we have recognized that, and we're going to do some things coming up against human trafficking on January 11th. We've talked about this a lot. You should mark your calendars. You should be there. It's time for us to learn about this. And frankly, just so you know, I don't know about you. I'm your pastor, so maybe I'm just dragging you along with me. Come on. But I, I just can't permit people to be enslaved for sex anymore. And so I'm asking you to come join me. I'm done with it. So I hope you can be done with it too. And now can I just say something? This would freak me out if we didn't have Psalm 24. Who's the king of glory? The Lord mighty in battle will go before us and stand with us in this darkness. We're not, not leading this charge. I'm not leading this charge. He's leading the charge, and he's invited us to stand in the darkness. So that's something we do around us. But there is also a darkness that we absolutely have to think about today. And I know you're like, it's love day. Don't think about darkness. 
I'll tell you why we have to do this. We have to think about the darkness that is present in our own heart. You know why? Because if we don't just pause for a minute, if we don't just consider for a second where we might be flirting with our own idols or trying to be God for ourselves or holding some darkness because we think it's easier, if we don't do that, I'm going to tell you something. You will miss the glory of the season. It is only those of us who admit that we are in deep need who can cry out, Emmanuel, Jesus. Who can say, sing songs like, oh, come let us adore him. Why? Because when I was lost, he found me. When I was dead, he brought me back to life. And so we consider our own hearts. Well, how? We've been thinking about between the two heavens, how do we live? I think the psalmist tells us. He gives us absolutely what we should do. And he does it in one word he uses twice. Selah. Selah. This word, by the way, don't skip it. The first one is after verse 6. It's written right there. Look, right there. In italics, by the way, because it's still in Hebrew. It's still in Hebrew because we don't have a great translation for it. You've heard some, and they're fine, but we don't have a great one, so they just keep it in the Hebrew. It's right there. It's in italics. Go ahead, look. It's in italics. <laughs> what the psalmist would have wanted in the middle of this grand song after he said these grand things is, shh. Take a deep breath here a minute. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. And he puts it twice. It's not, not many psalms have this twice. Twice. He writes it after verse 6 because he's asking us to consider our hands and our hearts before the Lord. Are our hands clean? Are our hearts pure? He's asking us to stop. Where are the areas that we have turned toward idols and false gods and how we have been tried to be God for ourselves? And there's the negative, but he's asking us to consider something else. Where do we sense the encouragement and delight of God in our lives? Where do we feel God's love and presence that we can thank him for? Where can we be grateful and kind and feel like not only God doesn't despise us, but he loves us? We pause and we consider how God is comforting us. Some of us in the room have lost loved ones this year and will celebrate Christmas for the first time after their passing. Others here or for themselves or their loved ones are suffering health crises. Can we express need in this Selah moment and receive the comfort of God? The psalmist is inviting us to it. God is inviting us to it. As, as we spend time with loved ones, some will experience joy and laughter. Others will experience tension and heartache. And most of us will experience a little of both if we're honest. Can we pause and ask God to reveal his love for us? Ask him to release his love through us for others. Will we be quick to forgive, quick to lay down, quick to love? God's saying, pause. Check your hands. Are you doing good? Check your heart. Have you turned it over to me for good? Now, the other thing that we must in this first seal, we must, we must, we must pause and consider. There is no cleaning our own hands or our own heart. All right, come on, I'm going to say it again. There is no cleaning our own hands or our own heart. 
You cannot be good enough by your own will to climb the holy mountain of our God to his glory. This is the trouble. This is the trouble in Isaiah. They were incapable of doing it. And so the prophet, God says through the prophet, okay, fine, behold, I'll clean your hands for you. I'll purify your heart for you. This is the incarnation, my friends. This is why Handel puts it between death and life. What we must consider in the first Selah is that Jesus cleans us. And it is only those who have experienced that love and are clean in it that can walk to his holy mountain and bask in his presence. Can't do it on our own strength. We can't. If you've never done that, if you've never said, Jesus, I get it, I can't do it, this is a good day to make that, that is a good day to make that relationship. It's a good day to start it. If you're exhausted, if you have worn yourself out from trying to clean yourself, today's a good day to stop. Because Emmanuel, God is with us. There's a second sila, and it comes at the end of the Psalms, and it follows the exhortation to lift up our heads. Well, why are we lifting up our heads? Well, those of us who have understood that we can't clean ourselves, it should actually bring to mind another psalm. It's kind of a familiar psalm. It, 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 it's a parallel psalm, actually, 121. I lift up my eyes toward the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. Do you hear the same idea? We lift up our heads to the hills because we need help. The psalmist is saying, listen, pause and consider your darkness. Pause and consider God's comfort. But also pause and consider his glory. He's the king of glory. He's your rescuer. I wish I had really profound things left to say. I don't. But we have two and a half days. So here's a couple of ideas how we can pause and think of God's glory. It's not too late to pick up the daily office uh, lectionary out here in, in the booklets. There's a couple left. Follow it for the week. It'll take you through the end kind of here of Advent through Christmas. You'll get both and. It'll be beautiful. Go ahead. Do it. There's a couple out there. If you haven't done it yet, do it. You'll get all the readings. You'll get lots of great prayer. It'll be wonderful. I would highly recommend listening through the Messiah again or for the first time. And I mean, like, listen, listen, listen. Not while you're on your computer. I'm going to listen to Messiah while I'm making dinner. That's great. I'm encouraging you to like put it on and sit down and listen to it. It's the story of redemption in song. When you get to the movement, lift up your heads, O you gates. You'll be in a place where you're like, oh, no, Jesus is dead. Wait a second. Whoa, whoa, whoa. you're not dead. Lift up your head, O you gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting. Who is the king? The, the Lord God Almighty. He ascends to heaven. He comes, he raises from the dead. He reigns in power. And remember, the hallelujah chorus comes after lift up. We sing it at Christmas all the time. It's not a Christmas song. It's an Easter song. Hallelujah. We have a savior and a rescuer, and he's alive. Listen to the Messiah. Listen to it. Turn off the lights, light a couple of candles. Really, you've only got a couple nights left. And sit in quiet for 15 minutes. Your head will be filled. There's so many things to do. That candle smells. I hope I don't burn the house down. 
That's the first five minutes. The second five minutes is, man, did I get all my shopping done? But the last five minutes. Whew. Where's the king of glory? Oh, the Lord's strong and mighty. <laughs> Take 15 minutes. Really. I say these things, like, not just for my health. Your pastor is saying, you should take 15 minutes. Take 15 minutes a day. I mean, get crazy, right? <laughs> There's only two and a half days left. Let's get nuts. Let's be quiet. Let's practice Selah for a minute. And then when all of that is done, come and join us in a couple of days on Christmas Eve. We're gonna, we got child care up to age five. It's all set up. And I am happy to say, parents, you don't have to do it. They'll come in toward the end as we're singing and celebrating and getting ready for Eucharist. And we'll finish the evening with candle lighting. It's really a moving thing. We have never been able to do it. If you've never been to a candle lighting service, you should come just to see that. It's moving. We turn all the lights off. It's super dark in here. It's scary, actually. The only candle, I mean, it's not that scary. It's not like there's a ghost or anything. But the, the, Christ, candle, the Christ candle will be lit. It's the only candle in the room. And slowly, we'll all have little candles, and slowly, Jan will walk down the middle aisle, and that light will just filter all the way back until the room is bright. It's the very picture of Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, putting on flesh and blood, living among us, moving into the neighborhood. In the meantime, let's practice now. Let's be quiet for, uh, let's practice 15 minutes. We'll do, just do two. We'll just do two. Or 90 seconds, because I usually get nervous at around the 90 second mark. Okay, we'll do, we'll do two minutes. I'll try to stay till two. You bow your head and close your eyes. I'll watch the time. O ruler of the nations, the only joy of every human heart, O keystone of the mighty arc of humankind, come and save the creature you fashioned from the dust. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.